0: to us. We'll find news and stories that are so encouraging and hopeful to us. We'll find within the pages of the Bible, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, which tells us that God sent his only begotten son into this world, that his son lived a perfect life, and in the fullness of time, he gave himself on the cross of Calvary to purchase the salvation of sinners, people like you. And I, within these pages, you would find that. You'd find teachings of the Lord's Church, that she is the pillar and the ground of truth, that she is a caretaker of the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. You would find teachings about how you and I are to live sanctified Christian lives. Beloved brethren, God has so much more for us in that book. And when you consider its perennial freshness, it makes it, the contents of it, it makes it inexhaustible. And it presents solution to every emotional or physical problem which we may encounter. If we are only willing enough to give heed to the advice that is found within its pages. Yes, the Bible is the greatest or ought to be the greatest book for you and I. My subject this morning is entitled The Inerrancy of Scripture. My text is taken from Psalm chapter 19, where I'll be reading verses 7 and 8. The book of Psalms chapter 19, verses 7 and 8. Would you all stand please as we read the word of God? Bible says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise is simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. O oh, Father and our oh God, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, that you would give unction, Lord, so that thy word would go forth in the power of thine Holy Spirit, Lord. Not for my glory, not for the glory of this church, O God, but for the glory of God. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, that you would open the hearts of your people, Lord. That we will be drawn closer to thee, Lord. That you would bless us, O God, encourage us, O God. Give us the revival that we are seeking, O God. And save sinners, Lord. Father, we come at all to Thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We find here a clear testimony by the Psalmist David about the law of God, that it is perfect, and in its perfection, it has power to accomplish. And not just to accomplish, but it is pure in every part of it. It enlightened the eye. This morning we are to consider the divine authority of the Christian faith that is revealed to us in the Bible. It stands upon three very important areas of beliefs about the same Bible. These three beliefs are the inspiration of the Bible, the infallibility of the Bible, and the inerrancy of the Bible. You take away one, and the divine authority of the entire Christian faith will surely topple. These three, inspiration, infallibility, and inerrancy, they complement one another. Yet, you would find that each expresses a slightly different distinction in our understanding of the scripture. As we look at the inspiration, it deals with the origin of the Bible. The Bible claims That God breathed out the words of the Bible using human writers as a vehicle. We find that the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 16 and 17. He says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God would be perfect, that is complete throughly furnished unto all good works. The apostle Peter writing also in 2nd Peter chapter 1 and verse 21, he says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So we find that inspiration, actually we are talking about these words of God were breathed out by him. The word inspiration Is a compound Greek word, theonestos, which means actually God breathed. So God breathed out these words through these men and holy men of God. They wrote as they were moved by the Spirit of God. When we speak about infallibility, that speaks to the authority and the enduring nature of the Bible. To be infallible means that something is incapable of error and therefore is permanently binding, and it is not subject to change, neither can it ever be subject to change. The Apostle Peter wrote in First Peter chapter 1, verses 23 to 25, he says, "...being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as a flower of grass." The grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away but the word of the lord endureth forever and this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you and therefore its authority cannot be broken jesus says the scripture cannot be broken in john 10:35 in fact he says that one not one jot neither a tittle will by no means pass away from the law Till all is fulfilled. The all speak to the infallibility of the word of God. And thirdly, inerrancy. The last of the three. Inerrancy simply means that the Bible is without error. And that is my subject today. It is a belief in the total truthfulness and the reliability of God's word. Jesus said, In John 17 and 17, he says, Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. This inerrancy isn't just inerrancy about salvation, but also applies to historical facts. Some time ago, I was reading Simmons' uh, Systematic Theology of Bible Doctrines, and he made mention in Genesis chapter 14 and verse 1 that the skeptic said, that those four kings that were mentioned there, the skeptics were saying that there were no and actually there was no king like that, named like that. But afterwards, in the writing, when they found the Telamano tablets, they found that there was mention of those kings. Historically, we know for a fact that the Bible is correct. Not only historically, but scientifically also. The Bible is correct. We find Job talking about it is he that sits upon the circle of the earth. We find also Isaiah writing and talking about it is he that make it a weight for the wind. So we know the Bible, historically, we know that even not only in the case of salvation, but even historically and scientifically that it is, it is accurate in all that it professes to have there. It is not only accurate in matters of related to faith and practice. But it is accurate and without error regarding any statement. Scripture is inerrant. Meaning that it contains no errors. Now many opponents of Christianity think that claiming without, claiming rather, that the Bible is without error, that we are very naive for believing that. That we are unintelligent. And that we ought to be rejected as being outdated. Even within Christianity today, there are many people who call themselves Christians and they do not believe in the inerrancy of the scriptures. But I do. And whether you do or not, it does not change the fact of it being inerrant. God's word is without errors. And it is as God intended for it to be. And that is what I will be dealing with as I share with you my belief about the inerrancy of scriptures. First of all, why do I believe that the scripture is inerrant? I believe that scripture is inerrant because of, first of all, who inspired the scriptures. If we believe that God is pure holiness, if we believe that God always speaks truth and cannot lie, then we must accept that the scripture is without error. You believe, what kind of God do you believe in? If you believe that God is true, you believe that God cannot lie, then you have to believe naturally that the book that he inspired, that it is without error. For the scriptures are the very words of God as written through human authors. Remember what Peter said? Prophecies came not in time past by the will of men, but they came as they were moved by the Holy Spirit of God. So God is the author of this book. In my Esau's search, the phrase, the word of God is found at least 45 times. God claims the word as being his word. Looking at the phrase, my word, it is found 14 times and it is referring that to God's word. Every time it comes here, it is referring to God's word. He claims every jot and every tittle as being His word. And He cannot lie. If you do not accept inerrancy, you are left with a God who does not always tell the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You find in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 4, it says, He is a rock. His work is perfect, for all His ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity just and right is he beloved if you do not believe in errancy, god therefore becomes morally questionable and you are left with a collection of writings that is not god's word or at least is only partially god's word which leaves you now with the task of trying to discern what has and has not been spoken by god who are you to determine what part of God's word is true or not. We are living in a world today where man has become so full and conceited that I mean so full of himself. They have the audacity to sit down and question God's word and say, is this really God's word? Beloved brethren, let me say unto you, if you are born again, you ought not to question the word of God. Would you understand everything? No! I have been preaching for 40 years now and I don't understand everything. There are lots of things I've read in this Bible here that I, I, I cannot understand it, yet I trust it as being God's word unto me. Who are you and I when God has put a period there? Who are you and I to now put a question mark? Believe, beloved brethren, I believe in inerrancy because of what I believe about God, that He's perfectly true, And that he always speaks the truth. I believe in in, inerrancy. Because it was the view of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I trust my Savior. He is my Savior. I trust him. And I believe that it was his view in John 10 and 35. He says the scripture cannot be broken. It cannot be broken. Jesus says that the word is truth. He had full confidence with the words, word truth and ah truth. He understood it to be the word of God when he used it and said, it is written. Every time he said, it is written, it was because he had full confidence that it was God's word. Beloved brethren, inerrancy was, is not only my view, but it was the words of, the view of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I believe in inerrancy also because it was the view of one of the greatest missionaries that was ever used by God. Your namesake, the Apostle Paul. Paul himself wrote that one of the advantages of being a Jew was the fact that they have been entrusted with the very oracles, the words of God in Romans chapter 3 and verse 2. So, beloved, I believe in the inerrancy of God's word. Do I understand all about it? No, I do not. But you know what? I trust it by faith. I believe that every word from Genesis to Revelation, I believe it's all God's word. And by his grace, by my, with my dying breath, I too hope to see, like Sir Walter Scott, the book, bring the book. Because the Bible, the Bible has life in it. And I am not going to t- go to go into all the details. There's so much we can t- say about it. But I'm going to get to my second point. Is it really important for us to believe in inerrancy? Is it really important? I would say yes. Inerrancy is extremely important because of four things. First of all, inerrancy is based on the character of God. It is based on the character of God who cannot lie. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, it says that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. It is impossible for our God to lie. It is totally against his character to lie. Titus 1 and 2 tells us in hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. God cannot lie because he is the absolute moral lawgiver. He is the absolute moral lawgiver. He cannot lie. Everything is in him. He cannot err. Because he is omniscient. He knows past, present, and future. He knows everything. So he cannot lie. Inerrancy is based upon the character of God. And if the Bible is a written word of God, and it is, then it has to be without error. Because first of all, inerrancy is based upon the character of God. Secondly, inerrancy was taught by Christ and the Apostles. It was taught by Christ and the Apostles in the New Testament. And this should be our primary basis for believing it. We believe its doctrine of the plenary inspiration of the Scriptures primarily because it is the doctrine which Christ and his Apostles believed and which they have taught us. That was taken from Limited Inspiration 1962. Beloved brethren, to quote Jesus himself, he said the scripture again cannot be broken. And until heaven and earth shall pass away, not a jot nor a tittle will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. So we find that Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and the apostles also, we find that they taught that the scripture was without error. Thirdly, it was and it continues to be the historic position of the Lord's Church. If we do some studies, we're going to find that the early church fathers, Clement of Rome, in the first century, he wrote, and I quote, Look carefully into the scriptures which are the true utterances of the Holy Spirit. Observe that nothing of an unjust or counterfeit character is written in them, unquote. That was Clement of Rome, who lived in the first century. One century later, we had another church father, Irenaeus concluded, and I quote again, the scriptures are indeed perfect, since they were spoken by the word of God and his spirit. This was the view of the early church leaders. And as you study history, Christian history, You would see that it was also the view, and has been the consistent view, of Christians from the early Anabaptists coming up. The ancient Vaudois people of the Piedmont Valley, to even the 16th century Protestant reformers who were considered, who we were considered by them to be enemies, we find that across Europe, and to some point up to this present day, that they all believed that the Bible was without error. And it is only for some time now, we have had apostate people coming on the scene, and many of them coming through seminaries, and they are contending against the inerrancy of the word of God. In the book of Romans chapter 1 and verse 22 it says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. It is a truly foolish man who would fight in the face of God. We can study about this Bible time and time again. You would see how many people have tried to destroy it. I mean, there's a, there's a documentary to be found on YouTube, A Lamp in the Dark. I don't know how many of you have ever looked at that, but it's a good documentary. It's three hours long though. You have to have time. Well, I broke it up in segments and I looked at it. A lamp in the dark. And it gives you a good history of the Word of God. I would encourage you to take some time and look at it. So we find that uh, the Word of God, I believe in its inerrancy because it is based on the character of God. It was taught by Christ and the apostles. It was and continues to be the historic position of the Lord's Church and most importantly the inerrancy of the scriptures it is fundamental to every other doctrine in the bible every other doctrine in the bible stands upon the inerrancy of the word of god all salvation related doctrines they derive their divine authority from the divinely authoritative word of god So, in a knowledge related sense, the doctrine of the divine authority and inerrancy of scripture, it is the fundamental of all fundamentals. If you do not believe that your Bible is without error, then how can you believe that heaven is real? How can you believe the woman's place in the church? How can you believe the basic teachings of the word of God if you do not believe that your Bible is without errors? Then which part do you believe and which part do you not believe? What gives you and I the right to take out or to put in? What gives us that right? How dare you and I ever try to interfere with God's word? The mere time that we, that we would, we would have the audacity to doubt this and to doubt that from the Bible. Listen, you're flying in the face of a just and a holy God. And had it not been for His long suffering, He would cut us down immediately. He would cut us down immediately. All doctrines, all doctrine stands upon the inerrancy of God. And finally, if we fail to believe in inerrancy, we doubt the greatest message that the world could ever have. The revealed way of salvation as seen in the Bible. Listen, I came from a Hindu background. My mother was like a Hindu priestess. And I remember I used to go to the Hindu temple and I used to play music in the temple. And, um... Somehow God took me out of that. But it was at 29, 29 years old, we had a very difficult situation that came in our family. I, My wife and I, we lost a one-month-old baby. And God took me out of that old style of living and he sent me into the church of the true God. I was in a temple... From the temple he took me to the church. Before that, I had been around. I mean, I had been around. And not to get into too many details here. But it was when that child died, that is when the Lord revealed to me the way of salvation. I didn't know much about Bible or anything then. But as I grew in grace and grew, I started to take the Bible and study it and study it. And that's when I saw... And I understood the inerrancy of scriptures because within that was revealed to me the way of salvation as seen. The record is, was there in the Gospels so that I could have seen that, that there was a need of salvation. For it was only then I recognized that I was a depraved, a depraved creature. It was only then I recognized that without Jesus Christ, I would die and go to hell. Do you believe in hell, by the way? Is that one of the parts of the Bible that you don't like, so you take it out? Whether you like it or not, it is real. If we fail to believe in inerrancy, you would doubt the greatest message to the world, the reveal of salvation. That there is a need for salvation in every single human being who came into this world. Because we came into this world depraved from the moment you came into this world. The Bible says we were born in sin, shaped in iniquity. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It says that there is none righteous. In the book of 2nd Chronicles 6.36 it says, There is no man who sineth not. And it is within the pages of this book that we would find messages like these. We would understand the truth about ourselves. That we have fallen depraved creatures standing in need of a savior. In its inerrancy, the Bible would present a solution for you and I as it did for me. In 1979, the solution came to me When I recognized how sinful I was, the solution that came to me was Christ Jesus died to save me from my sins. And that is a message that you would find in the Bible that is it is relevant to every single one of us who who sits here. That Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Yes, God in His love provided for us. He provided a lamb... That Revelation 13 and eight tells us was slain from before the foundation of this world. That Lamb of God who came presenting himself as a sacrifice for our sins. When you and I, in our sinful selves, standing in need of a Savior. Jesus Christ, the Bible says in Romans 5 and 8, that God demonstrated or commended his love towards us. In that while we were yet Sinners. He died for us, Jesus, our oh Lord and Savior. Not because of any good thing in us. Not because of any of any good thing that we have done or could do or whatever. But in merciful pity, merciful love, his merciful grace. The Bible says he walked the streets of Gol- up to Golgotha there, took a cruel cross upon his shoulders and walked. And the Bible tells us that he hung on that cross there and died. Six hours he suffered there. Died giving himself a ransom for us. The Bible in its inerrancy gives us that message that Jesus Christ died to save sinners. In its inerrancy also, the Bible presents the assurance of that salvation when you believe in Christ. Those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when, when you look to Jesus Christ, when you look to Him as being your Savior, When you take it upon yourself that Christ died for me, you look upon it as a personal sacrifice, a sacrifice that was done for you. You, had it been you alone, He would have done it. You look upon it like that sacrifice. Jesus died for me. If you can see that. Then that is the salvation that He presents. That is what the Bible gives to us through the Word of God. We understand that we need a salvation like that. Through the word of God, we understand that we can have that salvation by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I had to explain it at one time to some people I was preaching in a funeral. And I told them, belief in Christ is not just to have a head knowledge that He exists. It is like a transferal of trust. It is... Like before you were trusting yourself, your good deeds. You know, I am not such a bad person. You are looking at yourself, the things that you do. And you're thinking like, I go to church and I do this and I do that and I do it. And you're looking to yourself. That That is not salvation. It's a transfer of trust from the things that you are doing unto what he did. And I would illustrate it like this. There's a chair there. I can go across there. I am standing here. I'm on my legs. I am trusting my legs to keep my body up. When I sit on that there, I have transferred trust from my legs to that chair, that, suit, that, that bench here. It's a transfer of trust from yourself unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Not by works of righteousness which I have done or are doing. But it is according to his mercies now. He has saved me. And that is what belief in Christ is. Not going to church. Now these things are good. Not being baptized or haven't been baptized. These things are good. We are We are we're told to do these things in the word of God. But these things come after you are born again. Only then it becomes acceptable in the sight of God. Romans 8 and 7 says, So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. And anything that is done in the flesh, you cannot please God. So, beloved brethren, if we fail to believe in inerrancy, we doubt the greatest message that the world can ever get. That is Christ Jesus came into this world. To save sinners. Beloved brethren, when you believe in Jesus Christ now, you are born again. You're born again. So, inerrancy is very important. Very, very important. If you do not believe in the inerrancy of God, it's very likely you, you may not even be saved. Because what Jesus told us, he said, the Spirit would lead us into all truth. And that is one of the basic truths. That the word of God is the word of God. So the spirit will lead us into all truth. I would like to say here now in conclusion. That a church without the belief in the inerrancy of scripture. It is like a ship without a rudder. It may take us on a journey. But there's no certainty where it will end. So who would care to be going on such a journey? God has given to us his inspired, infallible, and inerrant word. His people can speak now with authority and boldness, and we can be confident, for in his word we find instructions for our daily living. May I say to you that the scripture shares with us, with all authority, the story of the cross and the one who hung upon it, leaving in heaven to give himself for you who believe on him. Will you receive him as your Lord and your Savior? With all confidence we can say that Christ Jesus died to save sinners. Will you be saved? God bless you, brother.